the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, good afternoon. Welcome. Good to have you with us today. Third day of August. We're quickly sort of wrapping up the summer period here, aren't we? Amazing how time flies when the kids are home. <laughs> That's okay. Hey, we got a great show for you today. We're going to deal with uh, with some important issues that are in the news every day, but um, distinctively from a different perspective today. One of the big topics that you know we've been talking about, um, well, certainly in earnest since the leaked decision by the Supreme Court back in, what was that, probably June, that Roe versus Wade would be overturned. So much of this topic is so polarizing. And, of course, there are major political dynamics to the issue of abortion, particularly in a state like California. But today, I don't want to talk about the politics of abortion. I want to talk about the people. I want to talk specifically about the lives that are impacted And, you know, there's really multiple layers here. To be sure, the child, who was the product of a loving relationship or a surprising relationship or no relationship at all, but nevertheless is the product. And then when, for whatever the motivation, the decision is made to terminate that pregnancy, many would have you to believe that that's it, end of story. But for many people... It's really just the beginning, just the beginning of wondering the what-ifs, just the beginning of silently suffering and grieving, grieving a life of a child that perhaps has no name, and yet nevertheless the reality is that was a child. As many people find themselves 10, 20, 30, sometimes 50 years after the fact, finally coming to terms with the impact of decisions that were made and what it means and how it's impacted and influenced other relationships on both the horizontal plane and on the vertical plane. Today we seek to um, to kind of pull back the curtain, so to speak, and talk about how to discover healing and restoration. There's a new book out called Prepare a Room, A Path to Healing for Those Hurt by Abortion. And joining me today are its co-authors, Jerry and Michelle Shelfer. And uh, Jerry and Michelle, great to have both of you with us today. It's great to be here. Hi, Craig. We're so glad to be with you. I, I want to kind of start with the, the basics here, because I would imagine to some eavesdropping on our conversation today, they would say, you know, uh, I've been down this road before. This is not a topic I care to talk about. I feel uncomfortable by it. I feel sometimes even 
a sense of guilt and shame over it. And so the notion of sharing one's experiences in this arena to some listeners today may be altogether very foreign, but you have both made a conscious decision to share your own life experiences. And I've got to ask the first question, and that is why? Why why come forward with something like this and share such an intimate part of your life? It, it really is a wonderful question, and I want to confirm uh, what you've said, that, the, that there's a taboo in the culture uh, that says that this is really not even an issue that exists. We're not even supposed to imagine that there is such a thing as trauma from an abortion experience, and yet it is a reality that there is such a thing as post-abortion stress syndrome, it, uh, it has qualities that are similar to post-abortion, um, I'm sorry, post-traumatic stress syndrome. And um, the fact is that uh, I have a little statistic here we can start with. According to a, an article that was a survey in the Christian Post, 70% of women who have had abortions self-identify as Christians and about half of them say that they have kept their abortions hidden from church members. So we're even talking about a situation that isn't just limited to the secular community. It's really happening right here in the body of Christ. So to answer your question, the reason we broach the subject is because nobody else is. And, well, that's not really true. There are a lot of people who are broaching the subject, but we want to be among those who are broaching the subject to make it more acceptable to talk about uh, the hurt that comes from abortion. Jerry and I uh, share an abortion experience from our own past. Our first child was, um, was one that we dealt with in a very thoughtless, immature uh, manner such that she ended up in heaven, and we um, had to live with that. And it ended up being uh, really something that didn't go away. Uh, the shame, the guilt, the regret, the, the buried feelings, they all uh, stuck with us in various ways. And I eventually, when I became a Christian, I found that I was hindered in my Christian walk because of... Uh, my inability to receive the forgiveness of Jesus that was being offered to me uh, because I felt that my sin of abortion was just too awful and, in fact, unforgivable. And so, in a, in a way, I really owe so much to this little child whose life was lost and for my, you know, from, from our own uh, poor choices, but yet that child that child's life was not wasted because God even used the child to draw me to receive the forgiveness of Jesus. And we want other people to know about the restoration and the forgiveness that's offered by Jesus, and that this does not have to be something that hangs on your neck as a burden for the rest of your life, that there actually is a process you can go through, and that Jesus is really ready to uh, embrace those who, who, who believe in him and his power to forgive. We can lay it at the foot of the cross and have him take it up as he does all our sin and bring us to a new level of restoration and wholeness. Complete healing. 
and, and joy. And, and I'm curious, Jerry, toward that end, as your story unfolds, um, Michelle was raised in, in, I understand, Michelle, correct me if I'm wrong here, but a largely a, a, a secular Jewish household. Is that correct? Yes. But yet, Jerry, you were you were raised, uh, contrary to that, raised in a very uh, religious household um, and and had a faith experience. And I'm wondering from your estimation, why is it that this seems to be an issue that is so awkward to address in the church? And I pose that question because, you know, we will find, for example, uh, recovery programs that many churches today will offer in the arena of alcohol abuse or drug abuse, recovery programs even for people that have been through divorces, things of this sort. We seem to be somewhat upfront in addressing these types of issues and recognizing the kind of stumbling blocks uh, that many of these issues unaddressed uh, can can pose for individuals, not only in terms of their own spiritual health and well-being, but relational health and well-being at both the vertical and the horizontal plane. This is one topic, though, that for some reason the church really seems to get very awkward and shy about, leaving, of course, as Michelle is suggesting, huge swaths of individuals and couples that have this sort of cloud of guilt and shame hanging over their heads, it would seem in my mind that this is a golden opportunity for the church, and yet we tend to shy away. Why do you think that is? Well, you know, of all the the sins that preachers can talk about, uh, it, this is one of those down-low, uh, yucky kind of Things that they don't, I mean, they, they can, um, you know, wax poetic about all kinds of other sins, but this is, has that yuck factor, and uh, you become a, um, a skunk at a garden party when you bring it up. <laughs> but And so that leaves the, the parishioners sitting in the pews, not being ministered to, and that's something that we realized after we... Uh, we came through this experience of our own. Uh, this was 40 years ago. We had a um, an abortion. I was raised uh, as a, a preacher's kid, and um, you know, going to church three three times a week uh, in in Southern Alabama, uh, a Pentecostal. And uh, when when I when I left home, I was like a spring that sprung. So. I I joined the military, and, and I saw the world, and I experienced everything that the world had to offer, and, um, and as well as the mindlessness of youth and and um, and uh, and being um, carefree, or bought into a um, a mindset that was prevalent in, in the in the culture, and, but when I responsibility for what I'd done, um, I, it became very apparent that this was a, a, a very egregious sin, and it haunted me for many years. In fact, it, it came out um, as um, a reoccurring dream. There was a, a little girl I, I couldn't reach. I, I, I attempted to, to, to reach, but I couldn't. Uh, and, and she was um, uh, a beautiful little girl, uh, and, and I wasn't able to do it. So at, at some point, I realized that this was a way of this, um, my failing 
of a manly uh, prerogative, which is to um, to care and um, protect. And I failed. And so once I came to grips with that, um, Michelle and I actually um, the the everything shut down and we sort of looked at each other and we, we were working with another ministry and we said, what are we going to do? And this book came about in a matter of um, uh, a couple months and it sort of was the, the, the germ of, of this ministry and uh, I'll prepare a room which is also you know, uh, the, the address of our and we we uh, went through this together, and and it was um, a, a way of getting freedom, and we both experienced this. But the question of why this is not brought up in the church, it's like um, homosexuality and and um, these down low sins. The preachers they've got plenty of of of, uh, of stuff to, to preach about. This is just icky. Yeah, you almost but, have to wonder if there are degrees, Jerry, to which this also perhaps cuts a little bit too close to home. Uh, and again, our, our attitudes on this seem to be different in the sense that, you know, sometimes if you've gone through a, a say, a background, a history of drug abuse, alcohol abuse, and things of that sort, and you then came to Christ, um, we tend to kind of celebrate those types of testimonies. They, they, they tend to kind of get pushed to the front. Oh, Brother So-and-so is going to get up and share his amazing story of what God's done from him, done for him, and what God has delivered him from, which, of course, should be celebrated. But on this topic, I, I, I'm, I, I just wonder if perhaps maybe one of the reasons why the church tends to be so awkward over it is because it hits a little bit too close to home, because this is not the one that's easy to get up and talk about. With me today is Jerry and Michelle Scheffler. They've got a um, special healing event coming up in October that we're going to talk about in a moment, and really sharing some insights from the new book that they've written called Prepare a Room, A Path to Healing for Those Hurt by Abortion, and the necessity to to face this, to confront this, to deal with this, because as we've suggested, so often people tend to push it kind of down below, underneath the carpeting, you know, that kind of a thing, you know, sweep the dirt behind the door uh, kind of scenario, and feeling as if ignoring it is dealing with it, when in fact you just allow the pain, the hurt, the guilt and shame to boil and fester just down below the surface, but it's constantly there, constantly a reminder, and oftentimes becomes, as I suggested earlier, that major roadblock between you and your relationships, be your relationships on the horizontal plane with the spouse, with others, or most importantly, your relationship on the vertical plane with God himself. We'll take a time out, come back to more of our discussion. Preparearoom.com for more information. I'm Craig Roberts, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Jerry and Michelle Scheffler are with us today. The new book is called Prepare a Room, A Path to Healing for Those Hurt by Abortion. And you can get more information about the book by going to their website, preparearoom.com. That's preparearoom.com. Michelle, you mentioned that this experience was, was early on in your relationship with Jerry and that a subsequent pregnancy 
Um, I actually led the two of you to decide to to move forward with getting married. Um, at, at what point in in your life relationship did the two of you begin to recognize? And I would imagine it probably happened in in, in different ways. But did you guys begin to recognize that this was an issue that? was part of your history that you had to confront, you had to deal with? Well, um, I think I've been dwelling on it um, all along. And um, like Jerry mentioned, that he had a recurring dream. For me, oddly enough, and I hope this doesn't sound funny, but it's absolutely true, I had something that I might describe as an imaginary friend. Um, I was trained in animation, so I like to draw little characters and figures. And there was this character that seemed to follow me around and she had a story I invented a whole legend about her and um, then one day I mean there there came a day after I became a Christian when I was you know recognizing the obstacle that I had placed in my own past by not receiving the forgiveness of Jesus over my abortion and I began to cry out fervently to him to help me overcome that and during that that period of seeking uh, I suddenly realized, oh, I know who this child is, and and it was a shock. It was it was like suddenly coming face to face with my you know with my unconscious in a strange way that I had found and sort of crafted this elaborate way of not having to look too directly and too closely at what I had done, but yet the child was there all the time and with me all the time. So it became um, something that I looked at uh, more closely, and, and as I, uh, as Jerry shared with you during COVID, in the process of writing the book, of course, it, it made a great difference uh, for us both in, in really uh, resolving uh, and, and, and finding that full restoration and peace that Jesus offers. So it's been a long, long journey. It's really a lifelong journey, and I don't think it's ever going to end because this is a member of our family that we've lost, so it's not like you move on and then you don't have that person in your life anymore. That person is with you for your whole life. Just and how ironic that, in a, in a sense, that experience was kind of a almost a coping mechanism for you, and how yes. now coming full circle, uh, God is using those talents and abilities that you have uh, to create, uh, shall we say, a, a memorial quilt um, that gives tribute and That's, shows honor and memorializes in a very significant way. And and that, too, then, ultimately, that what began as a coping mechanism later on became an outlet for you then to be able to not only find healing, but also to share your story with others. It's, it's just been a, a marvelous journey, Craig. And I'm, I'm so grateful to God for turning my art skills toward something that glorifies and honors these, um, what we understand is 2.654 billion children lost to abortion in the last 60 years worldwide. Um, we, we do have an abortion memorial quilt. It's called the Foundlings Abortion Memorial Quilt um, because uh, for the last 812 days, I have been drawing a child every day as a way of honoring the lost children that, whose faces we can't see. Like if I wanted to take a picture of you, I could honor you, take a picture of you and, you know, post it on social media. But these children, only God knows what they looked like. 
so I began, I just said, well, I'm an artist. I can, I can draw one each day and, and just honor them that way. But the, the really the more deep, for me, personal reason that I'm drawing a child every day is because that child that I aborted, as I explained to you, played such a key role in drawing me to receive the forgiveness of Jesus. And I, I deeply believe that the, the foundlings, drawings, uh, will do the same. We call these children the we ambassadors of God's grace and forgiveness. So the Foundlings Abortion Memorial Quilt is 35 feet long and 10 feet high, and it's made up of 500 Foundlings images that have been printed on uh, organic cotton. I, myself, am not a quilter. I'm the artist, so my art appears in, in on these cloth pieces that are um, beautifully and just expertly handcrafted by our professional quilter by the name of Betty Upchurch that we're working with. She's, she's just fabulous with her quilting craft, and um, one of the things that's going to take place on this day of healing from the hurt of abortion that we're having in October is that we will be unveiling the full 35 feet of this quilt. Jerry, speak to that event, if you would. It's going to be on Saturday, October the 22nd from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Christ Church of the North Bay, located in Novato. And um, I, I know that this is really an opportunity um, to, as I suggested in my opening remarks, address the people side of abortion. Um, what are you guys hoping to see God do through this event? Well, what we hope to do is is bring people in, have the, the Bay Area be con- conscious of this need that is right there in the in the church, and bring people in from around the Bay Area and and if you know someone who is uh, who's, who's who's hurting, or if, if you're hurting yourself, come. Uh, we're going to have some live music, and we're going to have speakers. We're going to have um, a, a, a way to see um, what you've done, profess, and and have a healing. There also will be uh, prayer. People who have walked this path and have experienced themselves, they can pray with you personally. And um, uh, it's going to be uh, a way for people to uh, to look at what is, has happened and, and find complete peace, joy, and healing in Jesus. Craig, if you see the cover of our book, we were very uh, deliberate in putting a picture of an open door as our pastor. And that's really what we want to do with this event, because it's not talked about, because it's a taboo in the culture, and because there's so much denial surrounding the, even the possibility of something called the trauma of abortion. We want to open the door of the conversation. We really don't know what God has in store in terms of what level of healing can occur in the course of a few hours of one day, but we know that God is able to do all things, and we we. We are prepared to walk with people through their sorrow, to walk with people through confession, repentance, and um, we're going to have live music, like Jerry said, and, and um, an arts expression table. Um, so we're going to have a number of resources. We're going to have snacks, and child care is available for anyone who signs up at um, adayofhealing.com. So um, it's a free event. And we, we're, it's so conveniently located for the entire uh, Bay Area because it's right off 101, right near 37 and interchange. And, and so we're just hoping that we can serve the community uh, with this 
this idea. We also have a uh, one and a half minute clip that we can um, service the, the uh, churches around so they could play on their um, on their multimedia so that they can see exactly what's going on there. And really is, I think, an important first step for so many, as you have articulated, that have had this cloud of guilt and shame hanging over their heads. And, um, you know, we try sometimes to push these things down and hope that they'll go away or somehow lessen with time. But, in fact, that there are people that have carried this for uh, decades and have never come full face with finding healing that's available and the forgiveness that people need to experience that are dealing with the, the, the post-after effect of an abortion decision. A day of healing, again, will be taking place coming up in October here. That'll be Saturday, October the 22nd from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. I know it's a bit early. We'll remind you about this as we get closer to the date. You can get more information online at adayofhealing.com. That's adayofhealing.com. And to get more details about Jerry and Michelle's ministry and this new book that they have uh, written called Prepare a Room, A Path to Healing for Those Hurt by Abortion, we invite you to check out their website at preparearoom.com. Our thanks to Jerry and Michelle Scheffler for being with us on that segment of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Thinking about the shelter story, it reminded me that one of the best ways to remedy the guilt and shame on this topic is for it not to take place to begin with. And, of course, ministries like Preborn have been working to do just that by allowing women the opportunity to not only hear but see the full story, the real picture of the life that's growing within. If you joined us last week in our campaign to provide ultrasound machines to um, crisis pregnancy clinics across the Bay Area. I want to thank you so much for your gift. If you didn't get a chance to call and stand with us, let me remind you that just $28 can give a mother who's abortion-minded the chance to see the truth of the baby that's growing inside her. And a gift of $140 can do that for five women. If you'd like to give your gift, it's an easy thing to do. Simply go online to kfax.com and look for the preborn banner at the top of our homepage or call toll free 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Trauma, of course, that we deal with in life comes not only from significant and serious topics like abortion, but in many aspects of life. Let's face it, we all have those moments when storms come along. They might be of a health nature. They might be of an economic nature, maybe through a loss of a job, something of that sort, or even losing a loved one. And, and we're suddenly trying to find our balance. And, you know, so often people will say, well, you just need to pray and trust God. Um, but how do we go about casting hope and encouraging people that really need assurance that God, in the midst of their trials and storm, is still present, still working, and still cares. Well, a new devotional has been written by my next guest that helps to accomplish just that. Grace Fox has written a new book called Keeping Hope Alive, Devotions for Strength in the Storm, newly released by Aspire Press, Aspire Press, and uh, Grace, I want to thank you so much for taking some time.
to be with us today. And, you know, those moments when we need comfort and strength, well, we all go through it. And yet knowing where to turn to get encouragement, particularly at a time when we have such a tremendous sense of being distracted and we're having a difficult time focusing our thoughts on, you know, not only getting through the problem, but just dealing with the day-to-day challenges that life handles all of us. Your book really seems to help address this. It's not your first book. You've got more than a dozen that you've written. But what makes this one, in your mind, a real standout? I am so glad to be able to be with you and talk about this because hope is an important topic and we all need it. And so this book, I I think it's a standout for people who need hope because it's written in such short nuggets. I've been there. I've been in situations where I was in an emergency situation and my mind was on overload with all the things that had to be done, even though I had to spend most of my hours sitting beside a child's hospital bed. And so uh, I, I know what it's like to be in a situation like that where you need biblical encouragement, you need the promises from God's Word, but your head is not in the space to be able to sit there and read a long passage because it's, it's hard to take it in, it's hard to remember. So here are the nuggets for people in situations like that to direct their hearts into hope. And, you know, it's remarkable because we, we've all been through it, and we've also known people who have been through it, and maybe even in our moments of wanting to be uplifting and encouraging, we've said, oh, my pastor did a wonderful sermon a couple of Sundays ago. Let me send you the link. And that's all well and good. The problem, as you suggest, is that oftentimes when you're in the middle of that storm and you're trying to figure out how to how to not drown, you know, how to navigate the waters, sometimes our ability to be able to to absorb information and to be able to make that uh, 12-inch distance between the head and the heart is, is oftentimes so significantly compromised because we're just feeling overwhelmed. And one thing I think that you've done unique in this new book called Keeping Hope Alive is the notion that the the devotions in the book are really literally designed with the person that's struggling in mind to be able to provide it in very clear, concise, bite-sized chunks, so to speak, that we can get a chance to kind of wrap our minds around and draw some strength from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that was my intention. And let me tell you, you know, the Lord just has a way, doesn't he, of working in our lives. He gives us assignments like this. Uh, I, I wrote the um, precursor to this one called um, Finding Hope in Crisis and a Devotions for Calm and Chaos. That one uh, came out just a few months before the one that we're talking about now, and I wrote that while in crisis. Um, I finished it. Uh, just just a couple weeks before my, or a few weeks before my mother passed away in the midst of all that COVID mess in the hospitals and care homes. And uh, I did so with a broken tailbone because I, I had uh, had an accident while helping my younger daughter move. So I stood to write that book most of the time. I had a frozen shoulder at the time, running on about three hours of sleep a night, and then into that crisis with my mom. And, and I think I needed these devotions more than my audience at the time. So really, I felt it was like a gift that God gave me the opportunity to write these things while I was in crisis, and I needed these nuggets. I needed these bits of truth to hang on to to get me through. Um, just just since Christmas this year, I have lost about eight friends, all of them younger than me, and I'm, I'm 64, but all of those people were younger than me. And 
um, I was again writing during that time of losing one friend after the next, after the next, and feeling like there was just no end to sorrow in my life. So I know, I know what it feels like to be in that place and to be desperate. Um, you know, there was and, a situation. And, and so many of us that go through those circumstances and situations, and, and we all we all face them at varying uh, times and to varying degrees in our lives. Uh, although it sounds like you was you had almost a job like experience in terms of the, the the short order in which all of these events occurred, uh, one after another after another. And people do tend, even if you've been in the faith and, and trusted Christ for years and years and years, the enemy can do this to get our sights off of the Lord and begin to really. Um, doubt, doubt ourselves, doubt him. And and oftentimes the first thing that becomes a casualty to our challenges, even though we've read the scripture, believed the scripture, memorized the scripture, committed our lives to it, and that is the sense of, well, almost a garden of Eden, hath God said, not in a challenging way. Well, we begin to to doubt, and, and, and that often happens because we find ourselves in a in a place where the hope seems to kind of be a vacuum, hope seems to be uh, fleeting. And so is, is part of your goal here hoping to, to restore to people that renewed sense of, of hope and, and, and recognizing that in spite of the circumstances and how overwhelming they may all be, that God still very much cares and he's still very much in charge? Exactly. We all need that hope to hang on to. So my goal is to direct people's heart towards the character of God, because I believe that that is so important for us to understand. If we don't understand who he is, we will doubt his intent toward us, just like Eve did, and we will run into problems. But um, let me tell you one thing that's helped me. Uh, I live on a sailboat, on a river, and so when I go for walks, I walk along the river, and I often see herons there. And so one day, I was going for a walk and thinking... God, there is so much pain in the world right now. Where are you in this? Where are you in this? At that moment, I happened to see three herons standing close together in the in the water, in ankle deep. One of them took off, and his you know big wings spread, and he flew, landed in a tree overhead. That tree was leafed out already. It was just the spring, so all the leaves were out, and I couldn't see that heron, but I knew he was there because I saw him fly there, and, and uh, you know, my eyes couldn't see him, but I knew he was there. And that, the Lord just spoke to me in that moment, and he said, Grace, when you run into hard times, or when other people run into hard times, we might not see God in the midst of our circumstances. We might begin to doubt that he's there, but by faith, we need to believe he's there, because he has said he will never leave us or forsake us. So just like that heron was hidden from view, so he is sometimes hidden from our view, but he's there. Just the fact that we can't see him doesn't mean he's not there, and that's the kind of truth we need to hold on to. Grace Fox with us today. Her most recent book is called Keeping Hope Alive, Devotions for Strength in the Storm, and boy... We all have times of going through the storm. The question is, do you have enough hope to keep it alive and to hang on? Or do you feel sometimes that your faith, your confidence is uh, eroding and is being tossed about? Well, if that be the case, stay tuned to our conversation. We're going to come back and 
share some more insights with Grace. And, and one of the things that I want to kind of drill down onto, and that is how that we sometimes get so overwhelmed, not just by the circumstances, but the what-if worries. What's going to happen next? Trying to sort of, you know, predict the future and in doing so getting caught up as the enemy sows these seeds of doubt in our own mind. And suddenly, in the middle of our circumstances, we feel overwhelmed by fear and fear of the unknown. How do you overcome that? That's our next topic as this edition of Lifeline continues in our conversation with Grace Fox, author of Keeping Hope Alive, Devotions for Strength in the Storm. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It's a look at Keeping Hope Alive, Devotions for Strength in the Storm. Grace Fox, its author, is with us today. And Grace, as you suggested before the break, you've got plenty of experience in dealing with this uh, topic in your, in your own challenges in life. Um, the, the big thing, as I alluded to prior to the break, is the sense that sometimes we get so overburdened by the fret and the worry and trying to address the problem and, and, and deal with the issues at hand that in that process, that sense of, of hope begins to wane and, um, and really puts us into a position where we start to not only doubt ourselves, but doubt very God himself. Talk to us about how we go about in a practical way kind of grabbing control of these thoughts. Scripture tells us to take every thought captive as we're caught up in this sort of never-ending cycle of worry and the what-ifs and so forth. How, how do we take those thoughts captive and get that sense of renewed hope? Mm-hmm. That's a, such a good question because uh, the battle just begins in our mind, doesn't it? And so uh, every one of us will struggle with fear. That's just something that happens. We're human. And so what we do with those thoughts is what matters. What thoughts we allow to habitually dwell in our minds matters. And so when those fearful thoughts come or those thoughts of, oh, what if this happens, um, we need to be able to recognize those. And, and rather than entertain them and let them take us from point A to an undesirable point B, let's replace those thoughts with the truth. And so I, I love to have scripture verses written out on on three-by-five cards. I put them on the fridge, or I, I, um, when my kids were small, I had them all over the place when we lived in a house, and I, I even put them on the dashboard in our vehicle that we drove. I, I had them on the mirror in the bathroom. Everywhere that I would see them often, they were there to remind me of what the truth is. Sometimes, too, when we let our thoughts um, run away with us, we need to reel them in and say, um, what is the root of that thought? And often the root of those thoughts will be fear, and that boils down to, to a distrust of who God is. It's good to ask yourself the question, what aspect of God's character am I not trusting in this situation? The answer can be very telling. It, it cer- certainly can be, and, and perhaps also demonstrate to you some some inconsistencies or some some incomplete understanding of the character of God, which takes us back to that need for Scripture, to be sure. But then it almost becomes a, an endless loop, doesn't it? 
And by that I mean that as we are in our moment of desperation driven to Scripture to try and understand more, um, sometimes we just begin to feel overwhelmed. Okay, what passage applies to me, and and how do I begin to to absorb this, and 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 then use the practical application to work out in my own life a greater sense of of faith and confidence in the Lord and his ability to stand with us and to, to help rescue us in that time of trouble, to take us out of that mouth of the, of the whales, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Give us some insights in terms of how we go about, in a very practical way, not just controlling that tendency, and I'm a worrier myself, so I know the challenges that are related to it, that we tend to begin to worry and we take the scenario that's bad and make it even worse in our own mind, and then all of a sudden we become, our faith becomes paralyzed by fear. Yeah. There was a time once I was sitting beside my husband on a love seat. He was watching a game on TV and I was sitting on Facebook and all of a sudden, the thought came into my head, oh, I love this man. What if he all of a sudden died? And from there, my thoughts should put right down the wrong path. Like, I was sitting there planning the funeral songs for him and wondering how I was going to tell the kids that their dad was gone. Tears. I, like, I started to cry. My husband was oblivious. He was just throwing the game. He didn't know that I was sitting beside him planning his service already, you know? But that's an example of how far and fast our thoughts can go. And so... When we are in a situation where we're not in an emergency, that's the prime time to be preparing for it. That's when we need to be in the Word, studying in the Word on our own, developing our prayer life, being a part of a small group so that we're doing Bible study together and learning it together. That's the time when we grow, preparing for the time that will come. Those storms will come. It's not a matter of if, but when, and how hard that wind is going to blow. So it's preparing, it's being in the Word now. And finally, for those that say, you know, Grace, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to control this, mm-hmm. um, but I've just had that sense of being so overwhelmed because it's been through the challenges of, say, the pandemic and all of that has meant and, and that, you know, socially distance so that a lot of people's networks of support kind of faltered, particularly if they were used to getting a lot of support at church. Suddenly they're not going to church. They've had now some challenges, and and they don't know how to kind of get back into the, the saddle again. What do you say to that person who just feels right now stuck and is not sure how to begin this process of getting that sense of renewed hope? Mm-hmm. I say that... Um be encouraged and remember that even though your head, your thoughts are telling you that you are all alone and perhaps no one cares where you are, you are not alone. I, the enemy is such a master of lies, and he will want us to stay feeling like we're alone so that we will stay stuck and isolated because if we think of a flock of sheep and a coyote or a wolf coming to to find a victim, he's not going to dive into the middle of the flock. He's going to look for the one that's out there alone, isolated from the rest, the one who's wandered away. And so we don't want to be vulnerable like that to the enemy. He will take us out if we say that way. And so I would say to that person, ask God to put on your heart who you can talk to. And whether it be calling someone who you had a friendship with, but over time it's just fallen away just because of the isolation that we've had over the last couple of years. Call that person. 
they might be feeling like they're all alone too. And so give that person a call. Take the initiative and reach out rather than waiting for someone to take the initiative to reach into you. Others might not know how you're hurting. And so take the initiative, reach out, and ask someone, a godly person you trust, to pray with you. Be honest about how you're feeling. And, and you know, we might be afraid then, well, what will they think of me? That my faith is weak or what? Just put that aside. That's another lie from the enemy. But put that aside and just be honest. Because when we're honest with other people about how we're doing, that gives them the freedom to be honest with us. And they might come back and say, wow, you too? I thought I was the only one. And so then there can be mutual encouragement. But take the initiative. Ask God for that person and take that initiative. This new book, Keeping Hope Alive, Devotions for Strength in the Storm, is really designed in bite-sized chunks, as we've suggested in our conversation today, uh, to help renew your sense of trust in God, to help dispel a lot of that worry and doubt that tends to cripple you and and distract you, and and ultimately give you that sense of renewed hope so that you're able to overcome the fear and the worry and be able to see God move in through your circumstances to bring you the miracle that you need. The book again called Keeping Hope Alive, Devotions for Strength in the Storm, newly published by Aspire Press, available at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through Grace's website, gracefox.com. That's gracefox.com. Grace, thanks so much for sharing a bit of your trials and tribulations with us today on this edition of Lifeline. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.